But this morning, we're going to talk about impressionable faith on children. And I want to tell you um, right up front that I am inserting myself as a character into this sermon. When I think about impressing children with faith, if I'm honest with myself, I have to allow myself to enter in as a character in that story. Um, There are also a couple of other characters that I'm going to mention along the way. Um, One of the characters' name is Silas. Silas is three years old. He's one of my children, and he's definitely a character. Um, But a couple months ago, when Silas was still two, we were sitting in our living room, and at the time, it was one of those stories that just sort of happened, but afterwards, it becomes more and more meaningful in my life. We were sitting on the couch, and I look over, and in the corner of my eye, I see Silas holding my laptop computer and carrying it toward me. And just in the corner of my, corner of my eye, I see this. So my, my brain starts to get in motion, and I react because I want to make sure that he doesn't drop my laptop. So I, I go over to him, and I say, oh, thanks, buddy. And I was like, I don't need my computer right now. We're just hanging out. I think we were watching TV or just hanging out as a family. And he said, no, here's your computer. You love to be on your computer. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't need it, buddy. And he's like, no, but you love it. That's what he said. I promise you, it's exactly what he said. A two-year-old said, he said, you love it. That's what he said. He said, I love my laptop. A two-year-old had to inform me that I love my laptop. And, and that's where we want to start with this morning, with this idea that children are impressionable. And children are impressionable. We're going to turn to the Word of God to, to draw some conclusions about how we might practice parenting um, with impressionable faith. If you're taking notes in your bulletin, the first point this morning is that very fact, that a child's faith is impressionable. And in particular, a young child's faith is impressionable because young children have faith. I mean, it doesn't, it's not very hard for them to have faith, especially in the two- to three-year-old range. You can pretty much get a two- or three-year-old to believe whatever you tell them, and they will believe you, if you're your, especially if you're their parent. They will trust you. Um, and a child's faith is impressionable. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, if, and I want you to turn there. There's a Bible in your chair in front of you if you don't have a Bible with you. It's on page 128 in, in the Bible, and we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 because Moses knows that children are impressionable. And that's where we're going to start this morning. So go to chapter 6, page 128 if you're using one of the Bibles there. And go to verse 7. This is a sentence where we want to start this morning. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. That's what Moses said to the nation of Israel. So I want us to unpack that. Before we get into the context, I want us to think about, and I already started, what does it mean to impress an idea on a child? What does it mean to impress something on a child? I've thought about this, and and here's one of the things that we do, and you can back me up here if this is something that you've done. Um, We come over to our children, and we say, don't talk to strangers, right? Is that something that we teach our children? And then we, later we say, if I bring a stranger up to you, and I'm with them, and I introduce you to them, I want you to be really nice to them, and talk to them, and have a really friendly conversation with them, and come out of your shell and be friendly, 
But if a stranger comes up to you, don't talk to them. But if I bring a stranger up, with you, up to you and I say, this is so-and-so, I want you to talk to them. I want you to have a conversation with them. And if that stranger is with me and they have a piece of candy and they offer you a piece of candy, if they're with me and they offer you a piece of candy, that's okay. You can have it. But if I'm not there and a stranger offers you a piece of candy, I want you to turn and run. That's what we say. We, we impress so many different ideas on our children, and I wonder sometimes, we kind of send these conflicting images and, and mindsets. Um, and it's challenging to think about what we impress on our children. So we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, to unpack some of the broader context, because we want to see really what is getting through to our children. To do this, I want to I go backwards in the text. We're going to start with verse 7, which is a singular sentence, and then I want us to add to that by reading the sentences before it. Okay? So we're going to go first back to verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Go back one more sentence to verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Go back one more verse to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Go back one more sentence to verse 3. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. We're going to have this memorized here by the end. And before we go back to that first sentence, uh, which is like a ridiculously long run-on sentence if you have an NIV Bible, it actually takes two verses. So whenever, they put two ver- whenever it takes one uh, sentence to go across two verses, you know that something's going on. And there's this thought, there's this continuous thought that Moses shares with the nation of Israel as, about, as, as they're about to take the promised land. He has so much to say to them that he just has to like pack it into this ridiculous sentence. Listen to this in chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. Same sentence. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them to your children. 
when we lay it out in that context, it becomes overwhelming to think about that we would attempt to impress these deep, rich theological concepts on our children. And yet that's what Moses asks the nation of Israel to do. And I want us to, as we begin here, I want us to think about this question. What do we impress on our children? And the answer is we impress the things on our hearts. We impress the things on our hearts. And that's what we see right here in Scripture. Go back to the verse, um, verse 6. The commands that he gives should be on their hearts, and that's what they impress on their children. For me, and I, again, I'm, I'm entering myself as a character into the story. Um, for me, what's on my heart is my laptop, at least according to Silas. I can tell you, I can tell all of you here that I don't love my laptop. And hopefully I really don't love my laptop. But I can tell Silas that I don't love my laptop. But to Silas, at least in that sort of context right there, he knows that I love my laptop. The irony is that, uh, the interesting thing here is that um, this was six months ago. I've been a pastor here for a year now, and, and six months in I was still trying to figure out how to operate my daily life and, and serve as a pastor. And it was during this time that Silas came to me, and I realized that the things that were on my heart were the things of my job to be a pastor. And my family was still on my heart, but my job had started to take up more space. Ironically, when I was an engineer, I would just like leave my office at 5 o'clock, and I would forget about engineering until 8 o'clock the next morning unless I had a deadline to work, work late on. But as a pastor, I found it much more difficult to leave my work at home, or leave my work at work and not bring it home. And um, so for all of you laborers out there that invest so much into your job, I almost feel like as a pastor now I can relate to you a little bit easier than I could as an engineer. But I was starting to impress this idea on Silas that I loved my laptop. And here's, here's something that I want us to think about. Here's the deal. There are things that take up space in our hearts that take up too much space. And at that moment in my life, my laptop was starting to interfere just even with how I would interact with my family. And I want us to think about, and I want you to think about, what are some of the things that are taking up space in your heart that you are impressing upon your children? They could be good things. Um, I want to just give you a framework to think about these a little bit. That's where I might get into trouble, but we'll see. Um, maybe for you it's another technology that's starting to kind of interfere with, with what's on your heart. Maybe you answer your cell phone. Um, even when you're with your family, you don't even give it a second thought that you'll answer a call from work or from a friend. You don't even give it a second thought that you're with your family. Or maybe you're sitting at home and um, you're on Facebook and you're a stay-at-home mom and your son or daughter comes up to you and, and you're kind of distracted with Facebook, chatting with your friends. Um, or maybe you have been spending just too much time playing video games, and it's something that you need to just stop doing so that you can refocus on your family. Maybe it's not a technology, because technologies are, are not bad in and of themselves, but it's how we use them um, that can sometimes interfere with our life. 
Maybe for you it is your job. Maybe your job is so demanding that when you get home, you can't even focus on your family because your mind has been racing all day. And you get home and you don't have any more space in your mind to give to your family. Um, These are the kinds of excuses that we use. Sometimes they're emotional excuses. They could be emotional things that are weighing on our shoulders that start to take up too much space in our hearts and start to interfere with the lives of our children. This is one of the principles that I've kind of arrived at for my life um, that I want to share with you. This is my opinion. This is not necessarily um, true for everyone, but this is what I have found to be true in my own life. For me, I have found that I underestimate the value of the importance of things that happen in the home, and I overestimate the value of things that happen outside the home. And for me, this has just kind of been a realization for my own life that I've had to weigh things. Because when I get um, pressure from the outside world to interact, um, sometimes I can um, lower the importance of my family, and sometimes I get a little skewed there on that principle. Well, Moses knows that um, he has a lot to communicate to the Israelites. So we turn back, and there's a a phrase. Children are mentioned three times in chapter 6 here. The first one we already talked about in verse 7, impress them on your children. The first one happens earlier in verse 1. I already read it. But it says, Moses was talking in verse 2 to the Israelites, to their children, and to their children. You see that? That's the other reference to children. Moses knew that generational faithfulness was at stake in the, life, in the lives of Israel. And that's our second point here, that we are responsible for generational faithfulness um, to our children. We see this in Scripture. This isn't the only place that it shows up. But gener- generational faithfulness is when we as Christians, in our identity as Christians, when we take that faith And we do everything within our possible means to extend that same faith to our children. Now, it doesn't always work out as we have it planned. And that's part of the mystery. But at the same time, that's what we pursue. We pursue generational faithfulness. And as parents, we have a responsibility to do this. And if we do have this generational responsibility, this kind of brings us to the question of the morning. How do we impress faith to children? How do we impress faith to children? And it's here where I say that if I had the answer to that question, I would tell you. If I had the exact answer of how to impress faith on a child, I would tell you. If I had the exact answer on how to impress faith on a child, I would tell you. Because there is a degree of mystery. Part of the mystery is because it's the Lord himself that impresses faith on a heart. Um, And the flip side of that same mystery is that he uses parents and people to impress faith on others. Um, So it's it's not a prescriptive thing that we can go down a list and check off a certain list of boxes and assure the fact that our children will um, take on an impressed faith. But there are some principles that we have from Scripture that will help us kind of put a framework on this idea. Like, as parents, we really do have a responsibility with our children to see that they have every opportunity to understand what it means to believe in Christ. And that's what we're talking about this morning. The first point that I want us to walk away with is that our faith has to be real. And I know this is almost assumed, 
Um, but I think it's important to say right at the front, front end of here in terms of how we're going to influence our children. I think for us, if you think of that word to impress, to impress is to push against and leave a mark with pressure. So you're impressing something on something else to leave a mark on it. And I think sometimes when it comes to our children in relation to our own Christianity, what we think is that um, our Christianity doesn't have to match theirs exactly. In other words, if this, if this is my hand, which it is my hand, <laughs> if this was Play-Doh and, it wanted to take, if, and I wanted this Play-Doh to take the shape of, of my hand, what I would do is I would take my hand and I would take the Play-Doh and I would press my hand against the Play-Doh and the Play-Doh would take the shape of my hand, right? But I think sometimes as parents what we do is we take our children who are very malleable and influenceable and kind of like Play-Doh and, and we take our fists and not, not that we start hurting them but we start pressing against them to make marks on them in such a way that we think we're shaping them in a profound way by a lot of the inputs that we put into their life. So we, there's a lot of inputs that we put um, maybe from each side and then maybe in the end um, they end up square. But um, the bottom line is that we can only impress what we already take the shape of in our own lives. And that's, that's the image I want us to think about. Our faith has to be real. I love um, what we see here in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25. Listen to um, the best that the Israelites could have done. If we are careful to, be, to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. The best shot that they had, and we know that they got it wrong because of history, but the best shot that they had is that they could keep the law as a means to, to their own righteousness. But um, I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's one of my favorite verses. It talks about Jesus, who had no sin, became sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And that's what the gospel is. And that's what is added to the law. If you were here last summer during the Galatians series, we kind of unpacked that, that the law is a placeholder of the promise. But it's important to mention that because if you want to impress Christian faith on your children, your Christian identity has to be um, solid and true to gospel, to the gospel. I think Moses realizes that he's asking a lot. Turn to verse 7 again. And we're going to look at how he gives a framework on how the people of Israel can live out their lives and impress these things on their children. He says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Moses anticipated that they would need help. And what he's saying here, he's saying, teach it, talk about it, write it down in places around you, tie them as symbols. These are all actions that are going to help the Israelites remember the word of God. And I think it's the same with us. We need to make some, um, some, some places in our lives where we can remember the word of God. And this leads us to our second point. We need to create space for the word of God to actually show up in our lives outside of the context of Sunday morning. 
as families. And this is where um, I've been challenged recently, is just to, to carry the word of God through our lives. If we say this is the most important thing, um, and yet it doesn't show up anywhere but Sunday morning in our lives, then I wonder, what is, what is being impressed upon our children? And I, I think this gets to a deeper issue. Um, do you find it awkward to talk about spiritual concepts with your family? And I think some, at some level we all sense a certain degree of awkwardness in talking about spiritual concepts Conversations in the context of family. I think this is partially because our family sees us at our worst. And when, when we're together at our worst, that's when we're trying to live out this faith that we claim is true in our lives. We're trying to say that we are in Christ, a new creation, and yet our family sees something completely the opposite. Um, and, and I think maybe that's some, that awkwardness is something that we need to press through because I think spiritual conversations do need to happen at home. Here's uh, a few things that, that you might be thinking about this. Maybe the Word of God was never modeled for you when you grew up. Like, maybe it just never showed up in your life. And now you're starting to discover that it's important. Or maybe the Word of God would show up during every dinner time. You, you would read the daily bread with your family. But what would happen after dinner or during the other times of your family life. It just didn't sync up with what you were reading together as a family. So the faith that was practiced as a family, though you, though you tried to, to share it together, it was forced. And that actually can, can do, cause more problems. Maybe your family's like mine, and when you think about bringing the Word of God into your family, you start to think, well, when would we do that? Um, if I think maybe at the dinner table, that's kind of a normal time to, to maybe open the Word of God. Um, well, dinner, you know, for us, sometimes Silas is climbing on the table um, and we're just having a good time together. Um, but just to think about how would we bring spiritual conversations into that? Um, maybe your children are old, older, and they actually don't live with you. So how can you bring the Word of God into your home with them if they don't live with you? Or maybe you have teenagers and you feel like your teenagers... They're at that age where it's, it's just, it's not the right time to bring the Word of God into their lives. It's, they're not receptive right now to you as a parent. They're kind of pushing against you, and you feel like if you bring the Word of God into that, it, it would just feel awkward, and, and you're, you don't want to press through that. I think with, with teenagers in particular, and this happens to all of us, I think in the home, our families are becoming more and more insulated. Do you guys know what earbuds are? Earbuds are the little tiny headphones that are separated, and you put one in each ear. And um, that's what earbuds are called. I think earbuds have, especially with teenagers and, and young adults, they have silenced some things in the world that were, were not silent before. And the same with texting. Have you noticed? Texting is a completely silent activity. And yet our teenagers, I would say most of them, text a lot and use earbuds a lot. And, and these are technologies starting to insulate them from the family life. So when, when you have your children in your home, if they are under your home and they spend all their time in the home with earbuds or texting or on the computer, um, that's your responsibility to, to manage their time in the home appropriately. And I know that's challenging because my son Eli is, loves to be on the computer. 
and he loves to play video games and, and do that. But it's something that we're working on. I believe many of us are neglecting the Word of God in our homes. And I believe that um, this is something that we need to really press into. There's nothing that's going to come along to this Word of God that's going to be superior. What's going to happen is it's going to get neglected in our families. And then that's going to lead to unfaithfulness in generations. And that's exactly what happened to Israel. Let's turn back to Israel, um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this gets to the final place where a child shows up in this story. I love this story because we've heard it so many times, but when you think about it through the context of children, it, it brings some new layers. Go to verse 20 and listen to what Moses um, tells the nation. He anticipates that they're going to forget. He says, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws of the Lord our God has commanded you? What is the meaning of the law? When your son comes and asks you, Father, what is the meaning of this law that we believe in? What is your response? What does Moses tell them? What, what does Moses tell them their response should be? I love this. Listen to it. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning? Verse 21, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. See, Moses knew that they, the nation was going to forget. This, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is the retelling of the law. And it's Moses' opportunity to share the full depth of the law that's been revealed to him by the Lord himself directly to the nation of Israel. Soon, Moses is going to hand the nation of Israel over to Joshua, and they're going to go into the promised land. And Moses says, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the law? I want you to tell him a story. That's what he says. And I think this is our third point and final point this morning. We need to invite our children into our own stories of faith. We need to invite our children to be part of our faith stories. That's exactly what Moses recommends to the Israelites that they do. And the cool thing with them is that their story was a miraculous one. And it was one that had great um, adventure to it. And it was one that, was, if you knew it, if you really knew it, it was actually fun to tell. And I wonder um, if maybe we kind of think about our stories as not that interesting or not that miraculous. Maybe we need to rethink that. For me, and again, this is where I'm entering into the story as a character. For me, personally, um, this has been something that I have marked on my life as important. That I want to allow my children to enter in to my faith story at age-appropriate levels. And this is something that I feel very strongly about and I've attempted to do um, with my children. I want to tell you about a story. I'm actually leaving for Haiti next Sunday for, to go there for a week. 
a small team of us, Ryan Champney, also from our church, and then two other men from a different church. We're going to go to Haiti and spend a week there, and just to, uh, we're going to be in Jacmel, which is on the southern coast, and we're going to spend a, a week with Calvary Chapel, just looking at what they're doing there, and then think about, could we come back with a larger group? So I appreciate your prayers as we, as we go, and we don't know exactly what to expect, so um, thanks for your prayers. But, but with this Haiti trip, it's something that we started thinking about last October, and I started to pray about this with my son, Eli. And we would pray in the evenings. And the evening is when um, I take a little bit more time to pray with my, my children. And it's during that time where um, I try to allow them intentionally to enter into my faith story. Like I talk about what's happening in my faith story. And I, I, I let them in. I let them into it. So with Eli, he heard that um, my friend Cody Whitaker, who is a missionary in Haiti... Cody was in Jacmel, and we had plans to go visit him for a week. Well, Cody's daughter, Susanna, got cancer. They had to come back. They're now in the States, and you can pray for them. But I shared this with Eli, and so now he's praying for Susanna, and he's also praying about our trip. We're trying to discern, should we still go? Should we make a connection? And I observed something really cool in Eli, because I noticed, just even I could tell from the way that he prayed, he didn't want me to go to Haiti I mean, what eight-year-old um, son wants their father to go to Haiti for a week? Because um, he starts to understand. I mean, he's seen pictures and stuff. So he, uh, he doesn't want me to go. But I asked him, I said, let's pray together about it. Let's seek the Lord together and see where the Lord takes us. Um, and it's been an opportunity. That's an example of, of how I've allowed Eli to enter in, into my faith story. And it's around these ideas um, that I speak to you as a father of young children. And I, and I understand that that's very well may not be your exact scenario. And yet, um, I think these principles are applicable to all of us, no matter where we are in our life with our children. I've thought about how would you, if, you, if your children are, are raised and gone and out of the house, how would you allow them to enter into your faith story at this stage in life. One thing I thought of is maybe you could um, think about your Christianity and how you came to Christ. Is there anything in your story that your children don't know about that would be kind of unique and interesting for them to hear about? Maybe you could write that in a letter or share that with them at a time over dinner or just a special time. I think there are ways that we can um, allow our children to enter into our faith stories. And for me... um, not only am I allowing Eli to enter in my faith story, I'm trying to teach Silas that I don't love my laptop. And that's age-appropriate for him, and I'm still working on that. So as I share these things with you, again, I'm sharing them to you um, through the context of my own life. But I feel like Scripture is clear that we are responsible for generational faithfulness, and we are responsible to impress um, our Christian faith to our children in the best ways that we can.